welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigich. I'm Derek Neighbors. I'm Drew Lesweir. And I'm Roy Vandewater. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about three different topics. Um, the first one is there was an article uh, that uh, Mike Cohn posted to his blog about how in his um, planning poker card sets that he sends out, there's a 20, 40, and 100 card, and that most of the time people take those cards and they immediately throw them away. Uh, but he was advocating that those can be useful um, and that most people don't really use them and he gets a lot of flack for it. Uh, so what do you guys think, the 20, 40, 100 cards? I bet. first want to say, Mike, thank you for not putting t-shirt sizes in your deck. So I, I'll forgive you putting <laughs> the 20, 40s, and 100s in just for that. And what I'm thinking is happening is he's got to come up with 52 cards either way. And so each planning poker deck has got about enough for four people. And if he doesn't include those 40s and uh, 20s and 100s, then your planning poker deck is going to be pretty thin, and you can include two more people in there. And instead, he might sell an extra deck of planning poker cards. So assume that Mike Cohn doesn't make his income off of planning <laughs> poker cards, and that he actually includes the 20, 40, 100s for a real reason. What might that be? I, I think it's. I, I think the justification for people that like to use larger numbers are that it allows you to do some future range planning. Um, without having to either just completely discard and say, well, that's too much of an epic, we can't put any kind of a size on it, um, but allows them to say, this is bigger than really kind of the scope maybe of this release. Um, you know, I, I think the downside is that you're so far away from norm that you can't tell whether it's a 40 or an 80. Meaning, I can tell the difference between a 1 and a 3, I can tell the difference between a 3 and a 5, it's pretty hard to start to tell the difference between a 5 and a 40 or a 5 and an 80. And so I think they become somewhat meaningless. I, I, I mean, if I were to do it, I'd be more like, eh, maybe it's a month's worth of work or three months' worth of work or something. I think when you put the point values on them, the problem is when you put them in the backlog, then people start to use those more for real planning. Then uh, they, they think of them more like commitments and less like potential forecasts from a standpoint of well the total number of points in the backlog divided by our current velocity all this stuff should be done by then they're not going in and pulling out the you know the larger stories and saying well you know if you don't include those larger stories so historically at integram like we back when we were doing um application development we almost never used the the everything above the uh was it the 13? eight, the thirteen, right? So like we never use the twenty or the forty or. It's because my cone's wrong, but. And right, and then we um we one time had a project come in, and one of the guys was like, "Well, this looks like it's a really difficult one, so we might have to break out the twenty and the forties and the eighties on this one." And then what ended up happening was, is our our effective range of stories was from eight to forty, so like we just didn't use the one through five cards. So it's like we just use the ones through five cards only, you know, we just shifted over the entire skill. So I don't really see much value in that. Yeah, I think a lot of the time, too, is we never really saw stories that were bigger than 13s in all actuality. Um, you know, I think the stories were broken down pretty pretty well. The thing that I always wonder about with these is if you have, you know, estimating is difficult. Um, I don't think teams are especially good at estimating. And then at best, they can probably do a 13, but anything bigger than that, it's kind of like they're just totally guessing at that point and then you're right Derek I think you put a 40 number on there and then it goes into a backlog and then someone kind of treats that like it's gold uh, I don't think they give a whole lot of credit to the fact that the bigger the number the the probably less accurate that estimate's going to be um, and they don't right. see that and, and I would say I guess for me I think from Mike's viewpoint is uh, his personality is dynamic enough I think he can uh, kind of say you know hey these aren't real this is a plan this isn't you know reality and when that 40 turns into a hundred eights 
like you're not going to be upset and uh, he can convince because of his clout he can convince customers of that i think when you're on an internal team inside of an organization it's maybe a lot harder to make those kind of convincing arguments um and so what i like to to say is that to me a better approach is say if it's something that can't be decomposed right now that it needs to remain an epic then it's not going to happen in this release and if it's not going to happen in this release why are we even spending time estimating on it? So I would take more of a lean approach and say, you know, if it's not something that's coming up within the next few sprints, why take the time to estimate it at all if we can't get it down in a 13 or less? And if it's really that important, by the time we get done with this release and start doing another story workshop, it's going to come up again. Correct. And then we can take the time then to break it down. Right. Into and, and that's pieces. my thing. Is my, my thing is if it's not worth breaking down now... Right. If we say, oh, well, that's far enough out, we don't need to really break it down right. now, then I would say it's probably not really worth estimating. Or if you're going to estimate it, you could estimate it and say, well, this pile of stories here would probably be you know, another six months worth of work or another eight months. But now you're not putting them in as points into a backlog where somebody starts to say, but you said that was a 40. They still might say, well, you said that might be about you know three weeks, but or six weeks or 10 weeks or something, but at least you're kind of separating the two to say, hey, when we give you points, we expect those to be moderately accurate. When we give you this wild-ass guess over here, it's just that. It's a wild-ass guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so changing gears a little bit, um, there's another article that we were reading that talked about the practice of either naming your sprints or just giving them like sequential numbers. And I think there's a lot of teams that probably just you know, give them sequential numbers or maybe it's the week or something like that. Um, and they don't really put a whole lot of thought into it, but it's, you know, basically this is iteration 30 and then next is iteration 31. But uh, the article kind of pointed out that maybe it would be beneficial or maybe you should experiment with giving your sprint a name. And, you know, one of the suggestions was, you know, if you have a sprint goal, for instance, this is the, you know, I don't know, e-commerce or something, you know, you could kind of define the sprint so that when you're looking at your sprints, you can kind of think of them as, you know, even just the name, you know, does this, what we're doing for this feature or, you know, this thing I'm working on, does it really jive with what the goal was, what the name of the sprint was? What do you guys think? I, I think that makes sense too from a, like if you're trying to referring to it afterwards perspective, like if I'm talking about sprint 38, like, hey, remember when we wrote that kick-ass feature in sprint 38? Well, like, of course you don't. That was, I don't know how many weeks ago. But if I say, remember when we did the kick-ass feature named sprint and we wrote that kick-ass feature that the sprint is named after? You know, that's that's going to trigger something in your memory much better, I think. Yeah, I like that idea. I haven't done that, but um, I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with the idea, like you said, of the sprint goal. Uh, if you have a, a goal for this sprint, something that your whole team can rally around, some some kind of vision, uh, then then it, it could add excitement, enthusiasm, and, uh, you know, kind of a name to rally behind for for your deliverable. So let me get this straight. You're suggesting you actually store historical data on your sprints? <laughs> well, I guess then names would be appropriate. So that's a good point. I think too as far as uh, as far as like using a sprinkle, I like I think I I've, I've noticed in most of the sprints that I've been part of that every sprint kind of feels like it has a theme associated with it and a lot of times those themes become really apparent during the during the planning stage, sometimes they don't really become apparent until the end. But I, I can look back on the last few weeks that I've worked in sprints and say, like, that was the whatever sprint, right? That was the reporting sprint. That was the primarily a maintenance sprint, whatever. And, like, that might be – I feel like that might be a better way to name it than going with a sprint goal because, like, 
the retro goal is, oh, I always feel it's like a little bit more high level. It's like, oh, that's the sprint in which we decided to come in earlier every day. Well, but the, I, I think that the sprint goal is not the retro goal. I mean, I, oh, I, okay. I, I think that a lot of teams are yeah, not doing fair. sprint goals where they're sitting down and saying, you know, success for this sprint is meeting goal XYZ, that we've got the new report for the manager, you know, ready to go so that he can take it to his boss or whatever the, the case may be. So I think most of it, most of the time it's basically the, you know, this is the collection of stories that we kind of sort of know enough about to work on in that uh, case i withdraw my objection <laughs> okay so to shift gears again um another one of the stories that we're reading was uh, surrounding the idea of partial credit uh, so you know let's say you're working on your iteration and it's coming up to a close and you've got most of the stories done and there's say uh, an eight point story uh let's say that just for instance it was um you know e-commerce story and you know the definition of done was that I could use uh, my Visa card or PayPal. And we got the Visa stuff working, but we couldn't get PayPal working. So at the end of the sprint, do I get eight points credit or do I get five points credit? Uh, and then I still need to do the PayPal stuff. So how do, do I get three points next week or do I get eight points next week? How does that work? So so to me, it's kind of the wrong question. Like, to, like do I get credit? That sounds like I'm in, in high school or something. I, I think what really v- is valuable is what you deliver. You know, uh, the the business will get credit if you can deliver just the PayPal section or just the Visa section and actually make money off it. You know, that's the credit. Like, to me, the credit is the money or the credit is the customers um, that you actually earn or the money that you actually earn from what you can release or from what you did release. It, so to me, that's the, the more important topic. Like, I don't care if... if my team has like eight points stacked against it or 20 points stacked against it or whatever, you know, am I actually adding value? I think that's, that's a bigger question. I think to mitigate the risk of having to deal with partial credit, you should um, separate each distinct piece of value into its own story. So in the example of like, I want to support Visa and PayPal, those sound like those are two completely distinct pieces of value that I can deliver independently of each other. And that gives a product owner more flexibility to pull just one into the sprint and not the other. And that also gives you to mitigate a risk of, well, we finish one, but not the other. I don't think it's acceptable to not finish the sprint like at all. So even if it's like, okay, well now I'm getting credit for this five point story and not getting credit for the three point story, that's still bad. But you're right, at least you're delivering some value to the business. So, I mean, I, I usually find that teams that struggle with this have deeper issues. Um, it could be that I think, Roy, you're pointing out fairly well, a lot of teams have stories that are way too big. So I pull in a one story for a sprint, and it's going to take me two weeks to do it. And I get half done with it. I can understand why, well, I did a lot of work. It sucks not getting any credit. Can I get half a point, you know, can I get four points credit towards this eight point story i put a lot of work into it and i would say well why do you why are you bringing in a single story that's taking you all 10 days of work why are you not decomposing that story into smaller stories and then if you finished half of those stories you would be getting half of the point value right um and the uh, business half the business value and the business half the business value and so usually there there are things wrong with teams Uh, the other the other time i see that teams want partial credit is we pull in five stories I'm doing one story, you're doing one story, Clayton's doing one story, Drew's doing one story, and whoever gets done first will do the fifth story, and all of us 
don't complete our story, but we're all 75% done with our stories, so we want 75% credit for the points within that, um, which I think, you know, is a cross-functionality problem. Why are we why are we basically dividing the stories up like that instead of finishing a single story before we move on to the next story? Um, you know, there are, there are usually deeper issues when somebody wants partial credit, because the reason they want partial credit is because they did a fair amount of work, but they feel like they're not getting any credit at all. Yeah, it seems like if you're if you're really worried about, I did half of or you know two thirds or whatever this eight point story, um, and, and you're thinking that, you know, I think a lot of times people would say, well, we didn't get it done, so it goes back in the backlog, and then I'm going to commit to it next week, and it's an eight point story, but it's only going to take me a little bit of time because I already did most of the work, and so from the developer's point of view, you know, maybe that's an easy you know some easy points, and they like that. Then the product owner is saying, well, wait a second, you know, you guys already did most of this, so that's not really an eight-point story. And everyone gets all caught up on the estimates and the velocity and stuff, uh, and I think they miss a lot of those kind of deeper issues that you mentioned, Derek, uh, in addition to the fact that they're getting too caught up on estimates and velocity. One, one thing that I've seen happen more than a few times is, is where a team will pull in an eight-point story in week one and it gets rejected, and they'll pull in a few stories in week two and they all get rejected, right? They're all 90% done. So if they were to get partial credit, they would have gotten seven out of eight points week one, and they would have gotten 13 out of 14 points week two and so on. And then week four rolls around, and now they spend the entire week pulling in only the stories from the previous three weeks that they failed, every single one of, and then they complete each of the last 10% of every one of those stories, and all of a sudden they hit like a 50 and then the following week, the product owner's like, we're doing great. Like, we were we were having some trouble for a while. We were pulling zeros, but now we're hitting 50 a week. And then they seem to not get that correlation of, yeah, we hit a 50 this week, but really we only worked on 10% of every story. Well, and I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you're using the data from Scrum and inspecting and adapting, what you should see there is a zero, a zero, a 50, a zero, a zero, a 50. Right. And you should start to deduce why Why are we, I mean, if one of our core values is consistent and sustainable pace, why are we seeing a zero, zero, 50, zero, zero, 50? What's wrong with our, the way we're doing work that's Sprint providing length. that, right? You know, and, and I mean, you know, there's probably a number of issues involved, but I think what happens is, you know, rather than say like, hey, the data is showing us 0, 0, 50, the the first answer goes to, well, the, the problem is the process is wrong. We should have gotten, you know, we should have done a 28, a 28, and a 28, right? Or I guess, you know, a, a 15, a 15, and a... 20 right? Sure, right is is what it should look like because we did get partial credit and, and i think the problem is what you're trying to do is normalize something so it looks how it should look instead of actually fixing the problem so i want partial credit for stories so that it looks how it should look instead of addressing the reasons why it's not we're not doing it the right way yeah it seems like uh you know you it, you want it to look like how it should look because you feel like you did a whole bunch of work, but at the same time you're willing to throw done is done out the window and say, well, I understand you have this done is done thing, but I don't really care about that because I really worked hard and I really got 80% of this done. I, I think sometimes you get into a little bit of a pay it, uh, like a paycheck advance situation 
where <laughs> like you'll, you'll, that's a great example you'll, you'll browbeat your product owner into like just accept it and then we're gonna finish it up next week but it'll already be accepted and then what will happen is you spend like a lot of the next week working on that story and then you won't have time to work on other stories so you'll be like all right well, and then get them to you know they like you're caught in that cycle where then they didn't have to do it again and they're constantly having to pre-accept stories before they're done so that you can maintain your velocity and look good to your superiors yeah, and the um, the equivalent of the guy who comes to break your kneecaps is called the defect board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, on that note, thanks, guys. Uh, that was a good talk. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. 